This is the Friends and Relatives uh, Radio Hour. Tonight, we have uh, Mr. Freddie Lane on Lummi Nation. And here, we're tonight, we're going to be talking about uh, my uncle, Freddie's father, Swaloose, and the life and legacy of Vernon Lane. How you doing? Good, good. Good. Feels good. All ready to... Relive some of her family history. I think that's pretty neat. Uh, you know, thank you, Daryl, and, and thank our friends here at KMRE uh, for this opportunity. Um, so background on on um, where the idea comes from of um, doing this memoir, this this book, the the life and times of uh, Vernon Lane, Swaloose. Um, dates back to when I was a kid and, um, I'm not going to lie, you know, my, my dad uh, was the chairman of the tribe and, and, um, he used to, um, drive around the reservation. He loved driving around the reservation and, um, sometimes he'd be drinking and I'd jump on board. I, I, I drive. So at the age of 12 years old. Um, dad let me drive him around the res and, um, that's just the way it was back in the day. And, and, uh, so when I was about 12 years old, this one time, um, dad, he told me, he said, um, he said, son, I'm, I'm going to die someday. And, um, I don't know how to say this, but there's things that you do and do not say to a 12-year-old that's driving you around the res. And, um, and, but I remember those stories. And, and as I grew up, dad, dad would always say, you know, son, I want, I want you to write a book about me someday. I want you to, I want you to tell my story. And so, you know, over the years, you know, it, it, it um, you know, you hear all these different stories from um, aunts and uncles and have different experiences. And this one time, um, Dad told me when he was chairman of the tribe, this was in the 60s. This was those tough times with agriculture and bolt decision was coming up. And and um, he told me he got out of a meeting. And see, Dad was the chairman of the Lamini Business Council. Now, that's different than, like, Chief Jim McKay, who was chief, hereditary chief of the tribe at the time. And um, so Dad was telling me the story. He says he got out of a meeting, and, and they were getting ready to come down from the, the, the stairs there. That's when the old council chambers was at the old Lummy Day School on the campus of Northwest Indian College. So Dad was walking out, and... He just got to the top of the stairs and was walking down, and Chief Jim McKay came up, and he, bam, he just slugged him, just slugged him, and they went tumbling down the stairs there, and Sam Kagey got up and brushed Dad off, and he walks up to Jim McKay and says, nobody slugs my chairman. And so him and Jim McKay got into it, and, and, and so I was told, Dad, that's the name of your book, Slugged by a Chief. 
And and so, you know, I, I always remember that story because it um, I couldn't imagine, you know, what what those times and what life was like um, growing up because I was just, you know, I was born in 1968. So um, I was just a baby in in the aquaculture and boat decision years. But I remember, you know, I remember dad always being that leader and his compassion and love he had uh, for taking care of our, our beloveds in their time of passing and and um, could only count the hundreds of funerals that he did. And, and so this past year, um, I just started, I just started, I just figured I better start this while I'm, I, I'm, I'm going on 50 and, and uh, some of his friends and his one sister left, um, Alice, Auntie Allie, and um, Ernestine Ballou grew up on on Portage Island with Dad and was telling me the story about growing up on Portage with no water, kerosene lamps to study, and 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 Ramona Morris uh, shared the the story about Dad being compassionate, and and cousin Richard Solomon talked about. Um, Dad just being at every funeral, he would never turn that, turn that anybody away when they come to ask him to, to to do that spiritual work. And then, cousin Candy, that's one of his nieces, um, talked about how Dad would tell the council, you know, her as a young council person to, you know, don't forget your people, don't forget your people, don't forget your people. And so it's kind of where we're at right now. You know, there's a few of his other friends that I hope to uh, um, get stories from. And I know you mentioned about some of his friends even in town here when they used to play play ball. Right. Uh, Don Mercia, we had him on the show, oh, a couple months ago, I think. And uh, he was talking about sports, baseball, basketball, football, how the Lummies had come to town and play in the City League and the people that he remembered. He said uh, probably the best player that he uh, ever played against from the Res was Lanny James. <clears throat> Lanny James was a pitcher and could throw really hard. Uh, actually pitched for Washington State Cougars back in the day. Uh, but I asked them all, who do you, who do you most uh, have the most uh, fond memories of it, he said, Vernon Lane. Because he always had that smile. He always had that uh, friendliness about him when he brought a team into town. Uncle Vernon was the captain, the coach, the manager, and the first baseman, and then the pitcher. So Landy would throw 100 miles an hour, and then people couldn't hit him, and then they'd change it up and bring Uncle Vernon in, and he'd throw 40 miles an hour. And then they see he's throwing too slow, and they couldn't hit him either, you know. So that was that was the beginning, actually, of my time around Uncle Vernon was sports. Uh, Uncle Vernon and Uncle Kitsap, uh, Uncle Vince Jameson, Uncle Robert Placid, Uncle Virgil Lane, the Uncle Don Cook. They were all on the same team, uh, uh, Danny Scott, and they come to town and played uh, baseball. It's uh, called Civic Field today. It was Downer Field back then. No fences, just an open field. And we were just in awe of the bright lights. So, wow, look at all these bright lights, you know, because 
I think in our neighborhood, we, everybody had one light, you know. And the, but um, that was so much fun, though, just coming in the middle of the week. And, you know, summer was like an endless summer. And Uncle Vernon put a team together. And uh, Cy Jameson was his right-hand man, you know. And Uncle Cy was uh, full of chatter, you know, full of life. And But when it came time to carry the bat, bag back to the car it was too heavy for him <laughs> so uncle vernon had to help him and both of them would carry the bats back to the to the car but you know um we're sitting here thinking about uncle and uh you know his political life uh, and you described the fight on the stairs well there was a lot of them there were a lot of fights back then it's just uh, who we who we are uh, this fight for survival you know, if we weren't fighting somebody from the outside, we were fighting each other. That's kind of what some of the old people talked about. And, you know, it was uh, back, Uncle Vernon always used to say, you know, back when we had nothing, and he'd really emphasize nothing, you know. But what he really meant by that is all we had was each other, you know, and that's what he that's what he did. He made, made sure that uh, everybody was uh, looked out for, you know, there's a ride around the res, giving people rides and asking them questions and figuring out what to do. So, you know, those contentious times uh, started with the aquaculture because our community was divided over that. And dad and and people don't know this, but uh, my uncle Vernon and my mother were brother and sister. They were twins. So growing up, uh, their houses, our houses were side by side. So they were in contact and talking every day, you know, and raising our families. Uh, we both had families of 12, you know, so there was no shortage of uh, friends to play with, you know, family to play with uh, growing up. Because through the woods, you know, the Tom family was another family of 12, and the Nolans, they were eight strong, you know. Um, and Gulco Virgil, they had six or eight, and we were all there, you know. We were all just coming to life in that, what they call Laneville. Young, young days, uh, our Grandma Christine was alive and she kept us all together, made sure we always had family dinners, you know. And uh, I think that's where that tradition came from, really, for all of our families, because you see all of us gathering um, today, and it was the same way um, back in 1960, you know, it was that, 57 years ago, it was the same kind of feeling when everybody was together, you know. Sports was a big deal, you know, Uncle Kitsap and Uncle Vernon, you know, taught us how to play basketball, shoot hoops, or play baseball, hit a baseball, you know. That was so much fun. But, uh, you know, back to politics, though, you know, that was uh, the birth of a nation back then, you know. It was the birth of self-determination because uh, the— uh, Council back then, they fought the BIA, they fought the state of Washington over water rights and fishing rights, they fought the county over right-of-ways and use of uh, our land and who gets to regulate the land uh, because uh, it was our reservation. And they reminded people all the time that this is our reservation, not yours. We live here. You don't. These are our people, not your people. And they just kept to remind them over and over and you know, the bold decision signaled that big shift because it was finally the recognition of our treaty rights. You know, up to then, uh, you know, people just go do it. You know, Haxton Way got built without the permission of the tribe. The county just went and did it, you know. 
I remember that famous story that uh, my dad told me about an old elder, uh, Bunny Washington. Uh, he had cattle, and it was all open range back then, so the cattle would be running all over the place and be getting on the county road. And uh, Juanitums that lived on the res were complaining to the county that, you know, hey, these cows are, you know, dirtying up our road out here. And so finally the county commissioner came out and talked to the elder said, hey, your cows are uh, your cows are stinking up our road. And Bunny says, well, get your damn road off my reservation then. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the way they were, you know. That's the way they were. So uh, and Uncle Vernon was right in there. It was Uncle Vernon and Uncle Sam. They were chairman, vice chairman, back and forth for a lot of years there, you know, serving the people. You're listening to KMRE 102.3 FM in Bellingham, your community, your voice, your station. When I travel across the country with Jewel, like on these totem pole journeys and these campaigns, you know, for the environment, and a lot of people don't realize what our elders sacrifice. A lot of people don't realize what our parents and in even your mom in 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 healthcare, for example, you know a lot of our our young people don't understand what that means when Auntie Violet would travel to D.C. and lobby, because um, a lot of you know we didn't know what lobbying was. We didn't know um, uh, how how to, and and Auntie and and Dad and Sam and. Joe Dela Cruz and a, a Uncle Billy Frank Jr. You know, and they were really, really pioneers. On you know, and we ain't going nowhere in here in the Northwest. I remember Uncle Billy Frank used to say, "I mean, we'll here, we're we are here, and we'll always be here." And um, to keep up that fight, you know, to keep fighting for treaty rights and to mm-hmm. keep fighting for self determination. And self governance, and 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 I always remember Dad. He always used to talk about before he died. He told me how what the wars of the future are going to look like, and he says, "Son, the number one thing we're going to be fighting for in this country is water. That that element of that's that element of life that is so important: clean water." It is It is really apparent, you know, when you look at the landscape today and, you know, uh, praise God that the, the council and the uh, farmers in Whatcom County got together to clean up the water, you know, because it threatens uh, shellfish or clam beds. Then you look at Bellingham Bay and we're trying to get things together with the port and the city of Bellingham to clean up the water because if the water dies, the, uh, the fish die. You know, and that's just part of it. Then you look at... Uh, how much growth is going on in this county and people are putting moratoriums on water, you know, and most people uh, don't realize that the tribe has senior water rights and someday that's going to be uh, an issue that they're going to have to reckon with, you know, and they're going to be looking at us, you know, and and we look at the future use of the Nooksack and it needs to be in such a condition that it supports salmon. If it doesn't, then uh, nobody will be taking water out of there until it does, you know. It's coming. It's looming, you know, and that's what he meant by that. So uh, getting ourselves ready to 
to defend uh, our water rights is probably one of the key issues today. What 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 was the earliest memory that you remember of you know growing up with dad and Auntie Violet and Auntie Viola and Uncle Art and Auntie Gladys and Uncle Virgil and Auntie Allie. You know, it seemed like there were always these station wagons and, you know, us jumping in and heading down Portage and going for that, you know, that Sunday dinner over to mom's house. Probably my earliest memory is that, uh, you know, across the street from the old house on Lummi Shore Road, there was uh, Grandma Christine's house. And that's my earliest memory is of uh, going down to to Grandma Christine's for, for a dinner or a party. And we were all there. The cooks had come in or come out to the reservation from Bellingham. They lived over on Donovan Street in Fairhaven. Then we'd all be there. Uncle Virgil's uh, kids had come over. Uh, Aunt Luella's kids had come up from uh, Gooseberry Point. You know, we'd all be there. And then that special moment was when this shiny car would pull into the gathering there at Grandma Christine's and There'd be this big laughter, and then she'd be either chasing somebody or pinching somebody's cheek or doing something, making fun of them. And it was Auntie Viola. She'd pull in from Seattle, and all the kids would go running, you know, there just because uh, she was the one that made everybody laugh. She brought the whole party to life, you know. And um, that was really special when, when that happened. Uncle Art, uh, I don't think he lived at Sandy Point yet. He was uh, just out of the service. He had an Army uniform on, mm-hmm. I remember. Him and uh, his best buddy, Howard Garcia, and uh, Bobby Davis, you know, were his best buddies. And, mm-hmm. But um, Auntie uh, Allie and Auntie Gladys, I think they were just out of high school. They were really young yet, so they were living at home yet. Yeah. That was so cool, though, because that house is so tiny and I thought it was really big back in the day, but we all fit in there, you know. And we had a, you know, and Uncle Kitsap would get a football game going, and all the boys would be playing, Terry and Sonny and the Nolan boys, Newt and Ralphie, you know. Mm-hmm. And we were all together, just play all day, you know. And but that was what family was, you know. It was uh, pulling ourselves together, three or four generations, you know. And it took the grandmother to do that, you know. And, that all that thing, kind of things went away when Grandma died. And then, uh, you know, back in the day, uh, um, Mom and Uncle Vernon, they uh, held out in the sale of their land in Portage Island, you know. They were the last to sell. And then uh, since they were the last to sell, they were able to get the price that they wanted. And that's when Uncle and Auntie Nancy built their house down uh, where you're at now. And Mom bought a house in Bellingham. You know, and that's where that's where everything kind of just kind of went away. You know, and um, back back you know back in those days, uh, and <clears throat> I don't want to say it. You know, I don't want to say we're old school or anything, but you know, I said this to Auntie Allie the other night. I says this. I was talking to my family really serious, and I says, and this is the last of our outhouse aunties. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, we had a good laugh, but yeah. that's the way it was back in those days. Yeah. 
It was too windy or, or too dark to go to the outhouse. You just went off the front porch. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more convenient, you know. <laughs> you know, that those days, I remember in a lot of, I, I don't know, maybe a, a, some people might remember, but back in those days, it was... It wasn't out of the norm for any of our aunties or our uncles to correct us right in front of our family. That was a, it was almost like that come from Granny Lizzie or I don't know from some of the elders because that was so important for us to learn those manners and those those traditions. It was a it was a tough time back then, you know. If, if there, the corrections weren't made, then uh, you know the the kids and uh, they wandered, you know, and they know that, you know, the alcohol was really bad, uh, you know, from contact through the early 50s and 60s, and they know that, you know, and they knew, knew they needed to correct things early and often because uh, that was just uh, the plague that was come, you know, ran through our tribe back in the day, you know, so they wanted to keep us on the straight and narrow because uh, if you didn't or they didn't, then yeah, we're we're at risk. I yeah, think, I think that's what they were seeing, you know. And yeah, even teaching, even teaching us work, work habits too, though. You know? Yeah, so. even you know, Dad, he used to talk about how like Grandpa, he was real serious. I mean, alcohol. Dad was an alcoholic. He used mm -hmm. to tell me, and it was nothing um, like Auntie or um, Ramona Bennett in, in Puyallup shared with me this one time when I did an interview with her, and she said. The historical trauma that come down through the generation she says that's where that comes from. They drank to forget all that pain and that hurt that they went through as as and it trickled down and that you know it it it's uh that historical trauma that that she said that that still hurt and even to this day mm -hmm. As soon as we can name it, and then I think we really can deal with it, you know, as families, you know, not as government, mm -hmm. as families, and I think you're right. And, uh, you know, Grandma Christine, you know, she was uh, uh, sober the whole time we were growing up, and and she was the one that kind of held it together, you know, made sure everybody went to church, made sure everybody wasn't drinking around the kids, you know, and scolding us and all, you know, all those little big things, actually, I call them little things, but big things in, in my mind because you remember them today, you know. But, you know, Uncle Vernon, you know, through all of that and when he got on council and later in life, it was all about forgiveness, though. It's all about picking people up and praying for them, singing for them and helping them along, you know, whatever way that he can, you know, and especially as a leader, you know. And I served on the council when he came back around the second time in the 90s and it was always about the people, you know. It's always about taking care of the people. Um, Dad, you know, was you. A lot of people don't know this, um, but you produced, you helped produce Dad's the the only gospel recording. That what do you remember of those times? What do you remember? I mean, because I remember you guys sitting in the back and there, and we was all strumming and and. I swear, I swear, it sounded like, like, like 
angels were like singing with us in in the room. It was so it was so beautiful, so powerful. Yeah, I remember that. Father Pat came up, and uh, Father Pat and I were talking about a a, a CD uh, of the Lane family singers because. Uh, you know, back then, uh, you guys were traveling all over the place. You, you, you never say no. You're listening to KMRE 102.3 FM in Bellingham, your community, your voice, your station. We'll be right back. You're listening to KMRE 102.3 FM in Bellingham. Your community, your voice, your station. My name is Daryl Hilaire, and you're listening to the Friends and Relatives Radio Hour. And tonight we're talking to my relative, Freddie Lane, about uh, his father, my uncle, Swaloose, uh, Vernon Lane, his uh, life and his legacy, uh, we left off with a, a little bit about the uh, choir that Uncle got going. I don't know how many years ago and how old the kids were, but they got together and they started singing uh, gospel songs for what was the St. Joachim's uh, Church. And then uh, through that, uh, that contribution, they start uh, getting asked to go do funerals and other types of gatherings, not only at Lummi, but at Swinomish and Tulalip and they sang for the uh, archdiocese, the bishop down in a big gathering in Seattle. I think they did the Goodwill Games. They uh, uh, were so admired by uh, some of the elders up on Vancouver Island. I remember going up there and listening to them sing at a gathering up in uh, Nanaimo. I think it was at Chimenez Bay, uh, even Vancouver, you know. So uh, through that time listening uh, to them sing and hearing uh, what people were saying about them. Uh, Father Pat Tui, who's a good friend of the family, and I uh, said, well, geez, we should uh, try to put a, a CD together so that people can enjoy their their uh, their songs when uh, when they're not at grieving, when they're not having to, you know, be there and uh, uh, 
sit through any kind of moments of sorrow that they can actually have some uh, happy memories. So we did that. It was really magical because uh, Uncle Vernon, you know, he uh, was the leader, but then it's kind of like Vernell's the real leader, you know, <laughs> and uh, and uh, getting everybody together on the same page was fun to watch. But when they got it together, it was just purely, purely magical. So that was the great memory of putting that together and you know, we'll have to keep doing that, keep figuring that out so we can get uh, more of those songs out there. Yeah, we was we was talking about um, a, a second recording sometime here. In, in, uh, so we was reminiscing about, uh, oh, Auntie Mary Helen, Granny Mary Helen Kagi, and now she's the oldest Lummy, and, and um, how it's important to... You know, to do this now, even even for this um, book that I'm 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 working on, um, you know, because I'm putting it together, I'm doing video, I'm kind of doing it like a video documentary, I guess. But at the same time, as you know, I'm gathering um, um, pictures and gathering different images and and uh, almost creating a timeline. You know, because Dad went to Chamawa. Did did Auntie Violet go to Chamawa too, or? Yeah, Auntie went to Chamawa. Uh, Auntie um, Vesta went there. Auntie Viola went. My mom, Uncle Virgil, Uncle Art, they all went to Chamawa. That was, you know, that was pretty amazing back in the day. Because I remember Dad telling me the story about how they were, they lied and they said they were only like. 16 or 17 years old and they were enlisting for you know like the korean war and stuff i mean it was but that was a proud moment dad said that how how proud they were to serve as as in you know in the armed forces they all did that my father went in at 17 to world war ii yeah it was uh it was the right thing to do, he said at the moment, because they were all looking at each other and thought that they had better go defend their country. And that's what they were thinking, and that's what they did. You know, and then they came home, you know, and it was like uh, they didn't go back to Portage Island. They uh, they discovered the life and, at Lummi, you know, and uh, our grandfather, uh, Art Lane, and, um, inherited some land there on Lummi Shore Road, a corner of uh, Lummi Shore Road and Scott Road, the, uh, you know, the Harrison property. And uh, it was an easy, uh, easy place to build at that time because he had roads on two sides. And I guess, uh, you know, when they did that, they, they realized that uh, it's going to be close to the tribal office so they can go get water, you know. And uh, it was uh, just prior to that, uh, the only road down to like uh, Gooseberry Point was uh, West Shore. It wasn't Haxton Way. There was a road there uh, right along West Shore. They called it that. And of course, the road right in front of the house there. And uh, so that was the loop, you know. Yeah, that was Beat, wasn't it Beat Star Route? Yeah, that's, yeah, that was what it was in the county records, you know, but everybody mm -hmm. called it West Shore too, you know. But, you know, with, uh, with that in mind, then they, um, they decided to do something about water, though. You know, everybody in the res uh, had to go to uh, the old Lummy Day School to get water 
I remember that. We'd go oh, up on. And that's right where the Northwest is. It's right there. There was mm-hmm. a water tap there, and we'd get these old dairy cans together. We'd put them in the back of the station wagon. Away we'd go. We'd get two of them, you know, one to drink water and one to take a bath, you know. And bath night was Sunday night and Wednesday night, you know, and we'd heat up the water. We'd get in there one at a time. Oldest to the youngest. Scrub oh, us. Wow. So, yeah, probably. <laughs> I think it was probably whoever was ready, you know, so you kind of— <laughs> You got in last, you got the dirty water, you know. (laughs) But, you know, that was just life, you know. It wasn't hard or anything. It was just life, you know. But then uh, Uncle Vernon and Dad, uh, they put their heads together and decided to dig a well. And so just south of uh, Uncle Vernon's house there in that little gully down there, they went down there. It was uh, uh, actually it was Uncle Vernon, Dad, Uncle Don Cook, uh, Uncle Virgil, and I forgot this part, Uncle Leo, it was Auntie Viola's first husband, little uh, Mexican guy. It was just uh, the most loving man you'd ever meet. Uh, he was there too. And they went down there and dug and dug and dug. They dug way down and got water and they sunk a pump. And then you know, in a few days we had running water. It was just amazing. Yeah. And, just, and Ernestine was talking about how that was... Uncle Penny and Dad were the first homes on the reservation to have running water. That's that's pretty amazing. And I guess they were a good combination when you think about it. Uncle Vernon and Dad they they built the the shrine up there, at the Saint Joachim's, mm-hmm. and they were one of the first people to sell fireworks. And so they had a fireworks stand up there, smoke the, shop. Yeah, a smoke shop. You know, uh, Uncle Virgil did a little bit of that with his own. He had a teepee, you know, and he had his head mounted on, you know, and people would come out, but uh, you know, he didn't do as well. Lucky loggers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they, they were that way, you know. I remember the cigarette days too. They had the first cigarette stand and be running to Montana to bootleg cigarettes into the, the state, you know, to sell cigarettes, you know. Finally, the tribes uh, uh, developed codes to regulate that, but before that, you know, they were just sticking their neck out because it was. On the reservation, you know. But, yeah, that, those were those were. I mean, even fireworks. Mm-hmm. You know the, you mm-hmm. know, um, Dad and Auntie Violet. You know, there were. I mean, you look at how many fireworks stands are out there now. But back in those days, I mean, remember they had those two-inch crackers and the real cherry bombs when they looked like cherries and. Oh, it was lethal. And it was bottle lethal rockets. Back then. Yeah. And, yeah, and, then, and the uh, crowds into the corner there, uh, they were like a mile long, people coming in to buy fireworks. Yeah, it was the only game in town back then. But, you know, when you think about that, you have that and cigarettes and all these other things. But the other, there's this famous photo of uh, the Lummi Aquaculture being built. And uh, Uncle Vernon and Dad were out there and they were working the crews. When they finally closed the dike, it was... Uh, uh, uncle and dad shaking hands as they as the dike came together. We'll have to include that in the work that we're doing to hold that up. Is that kind of a, one of those another moment in their their lives together, raising uh, our families uh, as neighbors, and then you know working on the council together, and you know supporting each other and all the things that they decided to do for themselves. You know, and Uncle Vernon being the chairman, my father really supported him and. Because that was a lot of time away from home. He spent a lot of time in Olympia and Washington, D.C. 
these are the days when, you know, everybody bunk in one room. It wasn't like today where everybody gets their own room key, you know. They, they had one room and, you know, bologna sandwiches to survive on. What, what do you remember about that, Daryl, um, you know, with all, all what's happening with um, uh, them trying to develop that cherry point on, on, on our ancestors at Kuchikin there and, and um, Dadnam, you know, they used to always remind us, you know, this ain't the end because they shot, they, they fought Chicago Bridge and Iron back in those days. But, but what do you remember of of uh, the story of dad not dad being chairman and there they were building aquaculture so the tribe can be self-sustaining and they could provide jobs and 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 then the fbi there threatening dad to arrest him because he was the chairman not only was he the chairman but he was dump truck driver you know so who better to dump this you know, dump the, the, this, the, you know, to create the, this economic um, stimulus for our community than the chairman of the tribe. And dad didn't have a permit. So they were threatening. That's kind of what I know of the story. Yeah, I think the person to ask would be Larry Kinley because he was there. I think he was on the council. And uh, yeah, they, they, they didn't get an Army Corps permit. They, they went ahead with it. Uh, there, it was so contentious at that time because the people uh, living on, on the west side of the reservation along, you know, um, uh, you know it, wasn't, it was Haxton Way, I think, uh, might have mm-hmm. been built by then. But, yeah, they were, uh, they were against uh, aquaculture. And they were going to do everything they can to stop them. And, and that was actually us stepping out in our first act of self-determination. I don't know any, uh, anything more than that other than that you know, this whole idea of fish farming and this whole idea of aquaculture, we had our eye on, on doing that, but the sense of it as a young, a young man growing up at that time is that I was asking mom and dad, well, who are all these people? And these people were actually uh, our own tribal members moving home. You know, because back in the 50s, during the termination era, they had all these relocation programs going and people were moving to Seattle and Tacoma and, California, the Bay Area, Portland, and uh, they seen opportunity to move home, and there was this great coming home, and I thought that was really cool that that was going on at that time, plus people start going to school, and, and people don't know this, but that really was the birth of the Northwest Indian College. It was this whole idea of our people getting training and education so we can run our own operations, the, and it came, yeah. from, came from that, that one idea. Yeah, the Lummi... Lisa Lummi Indian yeah. School of Aquaculture was yeah. born. Yeah, it morphed into Northwest Indian College. That's that's amazing. It is. You're listening to KMRE 102.3 FM in Bellingham, your community, your voice, your station. Um, you know, with all that, um, like you say, we've we've come from um, nothing. Um, Dad always used to remind me, you know, he he used to say, we were poor, but we didn't know it. We always kept busy. There was always something to do. There were always, you know, if it wasn't helping Granny um, um, Lizzie or with the barn or 
with Uncle Vic and Dad. Do, do, do you remember any stories about Stomish? Because remember, Stomish was 1946, right? And all our veterans were coming home. My earliest memory of uh, Point Francis was going over there as a little boy, Terry and I and Hank and probably Sonny. And we were in the back of this uh, pickup truck. And uh, there was this huge flat bu- uh, bed truck that was uh, hauling hay. They had... They uh, mowed that whole whole prairie there, right there in the north end of Point Francis there. And they had a, a bunch of bales laid out there, and they were bucking hay. It was all the uncles, you know. And I remember a redhead lady. We'll have to find out what her what her name was. But she was right in there bucking hay with him. You know, she was a big, burly woman. But Aunt Edith standing on the porch saying, hurry up, you know, and get, you know, telling people to get their ass in gear. Because the tide waits for no one. She said that loud and clear, and boy, people were just flying. And then she fed us, you know, and then we all came back across. So that that was my earliest memory of uh, Point Francis because they were all there. And it was probably Aunt Edith that gathered them all up to come over and get this work done before, you know, the rain came and, the you know, the hay got wet. It seemed like we're, we're always getting ready for... Next winter, we're always putting away. Mm-hmm. We're always canning food or going out fishing, or smoking fish, or you know. That's remember right. how many? Remember how? Yeah, like, that's yeah, it. Auntie Violet used to can, can, oh. can. They'd oh. have a they have a race going on. Auntie Nancy and Mom would be just you know how many did she do today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but for Stomish, you know, it was uh, that was always the thing we always look forward to that, you know, and. There's things that uh, would happen at Stomach. We'd be sitting on our porch there in Laneville, and all of a sudden these great big long canoes would go driving by, and we were just amazed, you know, because they'd always take Lummy Shore Road down to the Stomach grounds. And uh, and then um, <clears throat> we'd go down there, and sure enough, the place would be packed. And I remember the Carnival was there and the Slahal was there, just like it is today but bigger because uh, – it was the whole Stomish grounds, you know, before uh, Aunt Edith built that restaurant, which is now Finkbonner Seafoods. That was all Stomish grounds there. And, and uh, things would be going on all around, you know. There'd be drinking going on. There'd be partying going on. There'd be the Slahal and the carnival. But when that gun went off for the race, everybody was on the beach. It was just amazing from one end to the other, from... And Noella's all the way down to Stan Salmas be solid people. It was it was so loud it was deafening. You couldn't hear, uh, you know, Uncle Earl Thomas uh, announcing the the race because it was so loud. It was it was the only game in town. You know, it was a it was a thing of pride. I think it's what uh, canoe pullers felt and thought in, back in them days. You know, my earliest memory of that though was. Um, Looking out my window there, uh, down at um, uh, Grandma Christine's, and some people—they uh, obviously were from Canada, you know. They had that funny-looking license plate, and they were walking into Grandma's house. And I, mm-hmm. I asked Mom, "Who is that?" She said, "Oh, that's Dan George." And he went later beyond, went on to become a movie star. But it was uh, Chief Dan George came down, and he used to stay with uh, Grandma Christine. Every Stomish, and I didn't. I didn't really uh, remember any of that till years later. Till 
what was that, uh, four or five years ago when the late uh, Bob George passed. And I went up there, and his uh, oldest sister came up to you and gave me a hug. So yeah, I remember I used to stay at your grandma's house. Mm. Yeah, it all came together right there, you know. That was you, huh? And uh, But, you know, they, they went down, and then they had the Maria Legionas and St. John, St. Teresa. All the St. Canoes were really good back then, and that was actually the late Bob George and his brothers, you know. Yeah, that, you know, I... And there's the rest of it, though, is uh, Bob George, when he became an elder, and he'd, he'd, he'd go down to the Stamish guy and sit in the same place every year. It's like Roy Edwards. He'd go find him. He'd be <laughs> sitting in the same place every year. And that, you, you, you go there, and there he is. And so uh, a couple of years before he passed, uh, Uncle Vernon passed, uh, I went to see uh, the late Bob George sitting in the same log and asked him how he's doing. He says... How's my little juvenile doing? I said, Ju- yeah. How's your Uncle Vernon? I call him my little juvenile. <laughs> yeah. But uh, they had that kind of conversation, you know, because he'd watch Uncle shooting the gun out there on the at the start of the race and at the end of the race, and he knew that he had a six-pack in the bow with him, so he'd call him his little juvenile. <laughs> and that was back in the day when it was actually a— 12 gauge yeah i mean when it when you heard the gun go yeah. i mean that yeah. was yeah. that was kind of a trademark of of yep. stomish back in in the day it was uncle vernon and uncle Cy, and they'd be the, the the starting boat you know and there'd probably at least 35 canoes out there it was just intense and They'd be telling everybody to back up, and the people were swearing at him, and you know they wouldn't, you know, <laughs> they wouldn't even listen to him. And they, they'd get what they wanted, and bang, they'd shoot the gun, and then they'd come back around, and they'd be the, the finish line too, and they'd shoot the gun. And one time, the uh, Uncle Vernon shot the gun, and over he went, and went right in the water. <laughs> Do you remember that? I remember that he fell over. Yeah. <laughs> Fell right in the water. Somebody <laughs> told me that story, and I, I would, yeah, it must have been a six pack into it, you know, <laughs> twelve pack or so. Twelve pack, yeah, it was so funny. But those were really, um, you know, I, you know, and you sat on council with Dad yeah, yeah, in his yeah. last years. He yeah. was always, uh, he wasn't afraid to go to those general councils and you know tell. You know, tell it like it was. You know, he, he was uh, always, like you say, a man that really um, had his love for his people. He always, he always told me that. Mm-hmm. Take care of your people. You know, when I when I was in the hospital and he, he you know, I, I was in the hospital and pneumonia really bad, and and the chief told me he says, and I didn't know this, but he said sometimes those. Your loved ones will come and they'll sit with you when you're really, really sick. And he said, don't be afraid. And so it was early. It was 4.45 in the morning, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning. And I, all I remember was dad, he, he walked in and that's what he told me. He said, son, don't forget to take care of your poor people. Don't forget to speak for your poor people if they can't speak you get up and you speak for them but that that was you know 
here I thought dad was coming to get me to take me, you know, into heaven and whatnot. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it was, you know, it was that diff- it was that moment. And, you know, that's why I had to share that with with the council when I, I did that referendum was that that's that that was my, you know, mm-hmm. that he came to do this work, you know, and, and just at least start it. Yeah. And, and well, was, he was a living example of the old way, you know, and you think about uncle and being on the council, but also just working at Stamish or doing things in the community. Uh, you know, he shot the gun. Uncle Earl Thomas was the announcer. You know, dad was said that Bunny Washington used to kill the cattle for the people. And there'd be certain people that bring groceries to every camp. And, you know, my aunt uh, Sarah and my grandmother Zita were you know, part of the crew in the fish stand, you know, there are certain guys that cook fish every year. It was all just, they just came together, you know. And, uh, you know, I think that's what uh, what he means, that we got to stick together. We actually got to do it by setting a good example, you know, doing our part, you know. And he was, he did his part in so many ways, you know, with, uh, with the council uh, to begin with and sticking up for, being a voice for our people and sticking up for our people at, at all levels, especially here locally and, and working uh, with or against the county, you know, because people kind of wanted to uh, believe that we were extinct, you know, and they just wanted to like, you know, the ferry dock lease is a good example of that. The BIA just gave it to them, you know, and we uh, never forgot that, you know, it's because Uncle Vernon kept reminding us, you know, when that thing expires, we're going to get our fair share, you know. And that's what he means about water, too. We're going to get ours first. So <clears throat> he used to say, don't give him anything, Neff, in advice, you know. Just don't give him anything because he knew I needed to learn first, you know, and then negotiate from a point of strength. Um, that was, that was you know, I, Dad uh, always had his, um, his, you know, even auntie, your mom, you know, and how, I remember how important they were in our lives, like when we went to Chimawa. And I mean, I'm number two. What number? What number are you in your family? Number? You're number two. I'm number eleven. I'm mm-hmm. number two. <laughs> I'm number eleven. You know, of twelve. Yeah. And, and we all kind of knew where our rank was. You know, I mean, I'm always used to just eating last. I just always do it. You know, it's just natural. But you know, now that we're moving into our eldership. Um, it's so important for us to to pass on these stories to not only our our our, our family and our friends and our but to our community because that's what that's what we're all about. We can't forget where we come from. That's what. Well, that's what uh, Uncle and and Mom did uh, while we were growing up, and they got that from. Uh, Grandma Christine, who probably got it from Grandma Lizzie, you know, stick together, pull the family together. When things need to get done, they'll get done, you know, and go to your family first. You know, um, the the reunion we had last year was a good start, you know. I remember my daughter Tani worked on that real, real uh, deliberately to pull that together and pulled you in and a few others in. We're going to do that together, and I think that'd be a good place to— just kind of uh, talk about this in front of the 
the young ones because I think they need to hear about heroes and they should be our heroes. They should be family heroes. They should be people that live this, lived this, on this land and traveled these waters. You know, they don't need to be some superhero from the movie screen. They're, they're right here. Uncle Vernon's a good example of that, you know, and he always um, talked about canoe racing when they took second in the Red Wing. They were all just out of back from Chamao and they hopped in the way they went, you know, and it'd be good to tell those stories again and show them where the Red Wing is and bring those names out, you know, Johnny Salmon and the Plaster Boys, all those guys, you know, and it'll, it'll um, remind us that, you know, we, we have a rich family history. What, what, what is uh, an important teaching that Dad shared with you when you, you was a young councilman? What, what, what was that teaching? Because I, I know he must have shared some things with you about, you know, stepping into that leadership role. Well, he. Uh... He didn't. Uh, he didn't say the words sovereignty to me, and 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 that's the way the old people are. You don't say the word, but you you got to be able to articulate to Congress and to the to the senators and these people in Washington D.C. that we have a way of life. We have a way of life worth fighting for. And you got to explain that to them what that is, and you got to share with them that way of life, so they they know that we're just not a piece of paper. That you got to make them understand that we're still here, and we're still going to fight for our way of life. That's what he used to, when I used to go testify. That's what that's the advice that he he'd share with me. He actually went with me a couple of times, went dancing. <laughs> <laughs> We'll leave it at that. <laughs> those old funny, those old funny stories, you know, are are, um, you know, they're priceless. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, is there is there? Our, I know we're getting ready down, getting down to our last few moments here, but um, I always remember, you know, the story about Dad um, when because um, he always used to sing every Sunday yeah. at St. Joachim's and Mom and Antiviolet. They were sitting up in front there, and they were laughing at Dad because Dad had these pants on, and they had little flowers and bows at the bottom. And uh, Mom was telling your mom that those were her jeans, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know. And you know, Dad, he, he he don't care, you know. But you know, they were sitting there giggling in front of the, you know, in the front pew there, but. Just all those church times and all those memorable times were. Well, Uncle Vernon got the world famous Lummy Helldivers basketball team going back in the day. And, and of course, we all pulled together. He got us uniforms and we'd go play all the res tournaments. And, you know, at Lummy were the, were the biggest tournaments and people would come from all over to play in one of our tournaments. And it'd be Uncle Vernon and um, Uncle Vince Jameson, Uncle Alvin Culty. And then all us boys, Sonny and Galen and me and Terry and Kendall and Nathan, we were all Carl, Chuck, Toby. We were all there, you know. And, 
All the aunties be yelling at Uncle Vernon to sit down, sit down, you old duff. And, you know, then he they yell at us to go check in for him. So we go check in for him. Uncle Vernon come out and he'd sit down for about a minute. He'd oh, wait, he'd go and check himself back in there. Ah, <laughs> uh, you get yelled at again. <laughs> back and forth. He'd, then he'd be out there at the foul line. And he'd reach down and he'd grab his, scratch his butt. And Aunt Nancy yell, oh, Uncle Vernon, you, you stupid. <laughs> Dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, those were so funny. The place would be rocking, and and he just would have a blast. But, you know, he was playing with his son and his nephews, and that's all that mattered. Yeah, those those were the days. Yeah, yeah. So I forgot about mentioning all that because we we traveled all over the place. You know, you'd call around, and it's the old school. You'd just get on the phone and call, say, hey, bring my boys up, play some ball. We'd all hop in one car and away we'd go, you know. We'd go to Canada, to Musqueam, or down to Swin, or down to Tulalip. Yeah, so much fun. <clears throat> yeah. Um, any any final words you, you, you could share with me and, and um, Papa? And... Well, uh, God, I, I just I should have wrote that down. It'll come back to me, yeah. But it was so... It was so Uncle Vernon, you know. Oh, this is what it was. Uh, uh, mom and Mom and Uncle Vernon were a team, you know. And my mom would be busy gathering the prayer warriors and gathering the people, getting the cooks arranged. And then he'd uh, Uncle Vernon would get up and thank the people and say a few words and you know describe the work to the people, you know. And uh, Mom would say, oh, just just two minutes now. And of course, Uncle Vernon would go on for 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes. And God, she'd be having a fit backstage, you know. And then the next thing you know, my mom learned how to speak. So the next thing you know, she was going up there. And my Uncle Vernon turned to me and says, yeah, God, I could never get your mother to speak. Now look at her. I can't get her to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so cool. But they were they were the most dynamite team ever because, you know, they brought um, Isidore Tom in or, you know, the prayer warriors in, and they brought the the other leaders in, the great speakers, you know, and then they brought the elders in. They, they knew how to, to gather the people. I think that's the probably the most important gift that uh, they left us is to continue, you know, what you do, what I do, and all of us do, and carrying on that kind of legacy. Because that's really what cares about, you know. Yeah, that's great. Daryl, hey, thank you for inviting me on to your show on KMRE here. It's really an honor. I'm really glad we had this hour to share. And, 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 and Heishka, thank you to the team here. And we'll do more. This is Daryl Hilaire on Friends and Relatives Radio Hour. You're listening to KMRE 102.3 FM in Bellingham. Your community, your voice, your station. Heishka, Heishka to Cousin Freddie Lane and all the, the crew here at uh, the radio station tonight. Good night. Thank you.